welcome to General Well Servicing CAOEC podcast. I hope your summer has been going well and you've been able to get out and spend some downtime with friends and family. Uh, we've had a lot of smoke in the air here at Calgary and as uh, it's been a terrible situation with forest fires and of course we hope our listeners in all affected areas haven't been too adversely impacted by those events. Uh, otherwise though it's been nice to see things opening up a little bit more and of course it's also nice to see activity levels picking up for CAOEC members. The job boards have been lighting up over the past uh, few weeks and from the conversations I've had people are busy and pretty positive about the things to come. And for that reason we wanted to talk specifically about the labor situation in our sector and how much of an issue it may or may not be as activity levels begin to improve. So. In part two of our labor-focused episodes, we are speaking with BOE Report founder and president of Barrel Oil Corp., Mr. Josh Groberman. We wanted to talk to Josh in particular because he has had a very interesting path in the industry. As an entrepreneur, he began his career by starting an online industry news site, which, among other things, does a very good job of covering the production landscape and things like mergers and acquisitions, activity levels, quarterly announcements, etc. And after a few years of doing this, he took the plunge and eventually ended up starting his own production company, Barrel Oil Corp. So here we have two businesses uh, being built, um, business building opportunities, in oil and gas that one may not immediately associate with our industry. Well, certainly uh, owning a production company you would, but uh, getting into it as an entrepreneur in the uh, in the uh, news space, the online news space, uh, is an interesting way to start. And then after following it for a while, you know, jumping in with both feet and starting your own company. So uh, we've got a great interview with Mr. Groberman coming up. And of course, the as always, the Rigor Talk industry update. But before that, uh, just a quick housekeeping note. If you haven't heard, uh, the CAOEC is hosting a golf tournament on Wednesday, September 22 at Elbow Springs Golf Course. A big thank you to all of our sponsors who have signed up, and we have quite a few. Uh, we do have a couple of silver sponsorships remaining, I believe, and... The title sponsorship is open as well, so if you're interested in that, or if you are simply interested in signing up to join us for a fun afternoon of golf, please check out the events section on our website, caoec.ca, for more information. Okay, let's get to the industry update. Our industry update is brought to you by RiggerTalk. RiggerTalk is your global energy services network. Join the growing RiggerTalk community of over 400,000 energy professionals worldwide. Get pinned on the map today at riggertalk.com. On the drilling side, this July we had 3,501 operating days compared with 959 in July of last year for an increase of 2,224 or 232%. Month over month, we had 3,183 operating days in June, so we are up 318 days or 10% compared to last month's numbers. Active rigs for the month averaged 150 up from 40 in July of 2020 for an increase of 275% year-over-year and an increase of 22,000 jobs. Our registered drilling fleet is flat at 489 
and our year-over-year -year rig count is down 16 rigs or 3%. Provincially, in July, Alberta averaged 68% of active rigs, Saskatchewan 18%, BC 12%, Manitoba 2%. In 2020, Alberta had 74% of active rigs, BC 21%, and Saskatchewan 5%. So big improvement in year-over-year -year activity levels in Saskatchewan for sure. On average, over the month, 96 rigs or 64% were drilling for oil and 51 rigs or 34% were drilling for gas and 4 rigs or 2% were drilling for geothermal potash or helium. On the service rig side, in July, we had a total of 86,484 operating hours, up from 44,004 in July of 2020, for an increase of 42,480 hours, or 97%. Month over month, we had some late reporting, and our op hour total is up to 82,172 for June, which gives us an increase of 4,312 hours, or 5%. The month-over-month -month working service rig count is down 6 from 446 in June to 440 in July. Year-over-year, year, we are up from 323 working rigs in July of 2020, or a total increase of 137 working rigs this year. The hours per working rig average is 148 for July, up 2 from June's 146, and up 54 year-over-year. For those who don't know, we define a working rig as a rig that has hours in the reporting month. This is different than an active service rig, which is a rig that has had operating hours in the previous calendar year. Provincially, in July, Alberta saw 66% of service rig activity, Saskatchewan 24%, BC 4%, Manitoba 4%, and Ontario 2%. Last year, the provincial breakdown had Alberta at 68%, Saskatchewan at 27%, BC at 3%, Manitoba at 2%, and the territories at 1%. The EIA's August 10 short-term energy outlook estimates that 98.8 million barrels per day of petroleum and liquid fuels were consumed globally in July, an increase of 6 million barrels per day from July 2020, but 3.4 million barrels per day less than July 2019. EIA forecasted that global consumption of petroleum and liquid fuels will average 97.6 million barrels per day for all of 2021, which is a 5.3 million barrel per day increase from 2020. They also forecast that global consumption of petroleum and liquid fuels will increase by 3.6 million barrels per day in 2022, to average 101.2 million barrels per day, which is an incredible amount. WTI pricing estimates for 2021 are up slightly from 65.85 USD to 65.93. EIA forecasts OPEC crude production will average 26.5 million barrels per day in 2021, up from 25.6 million barrels per day in 2020. OPEC crude oil production in the forecast rises from 25 million barrels per day in April to an average of 27.1 million barrels per day in the third quarter of 2021. U.S. oil production was 11.2 million barrels per day in May 
and is expected to be relatively flat through October before it starts rising in November and December and throughout 2022. Forecast U.S. crude oil production for 22 averages 11.8 million barrels per day, up from 11.1 million in 2021. And as a note, uh, EIA has been revising their 2021 WTI price targets upward since the start of the year. So we'll have to see whether it stays in the mid-60s or whether it starts trending towards the 70s as we uh, get out of Q3 and into Q4. Nine Point Partners Eric Nuttall expects the majority of COVID damage to global oil markets has passed. And based on current inventories, Nuttall sees global supplies being in deficit and any additional barrels OPEC may release back into the market as a very bullish signal. The four pillars to Mr. Nuttall's oil thesis are number one, consistent demand growth for the next decade. Number two, the end of US shale hypergrowth. Number three, OPEC thinning out their spare capacity. And four, chronic underinvestment in production by global super majors. And because of those four things, he is very bullish on 2022 and beyond for Canadian oil in particular. On the natural gas side of the ledger, in July, the natural gas spot price at Henry Hub averaged $3.84 per million BTUs, which is up from the June average of $3.26. EIA expects the Henry Hub spot price will average $3.71 per million BTU in the third quarter of 2021 and $3.42, which is up from... Uh, the 2020 average at $2.03. These gas prices are substantially higher than they have been in years, and several analysts are predicting the rally will last as gas continues to displace coal for electric generation. There was also a great article by Jeffrey Morgan in the Financial Post this week about the rally in natural gas, and Morgan noted the recent price explosions in Europe and Asia and the fact that LNG facilities in North America are running full capacity to meet demand. Uh, the article suggested that higher gas prices may push electricity generators back to coal in the short term, but sees LNG being in strong demand over the mid to long run. As of today, August 19, we are at 159 active drilling rigs, up from 157 this time last month and 45 this time last year. Of those 159 rigs, 100 are drilling for oil, 41 for gas, 5 for other, which is potash, helium, geothermal, or hydrogen, and 13 are moving. So that's it for the industry update. Our industry update is brought to you by RiggerTalk. RiggerTalk is your global energy services network. Join the growing RiggerTalk community of over 400,000 energy professionals worldwide. Get pinned on the map today at riggertalk.com. All right, we'll be right back on the General Well Servicing CAOEC podcast for the second of our labor-focused careers in oil and gas interviews with Mr. Josh Groberman. So stick around. General Well Servicing is a premier and proud family-run service rig contractor serving our customer base in southeast Saskatchewan and southwest Manitoba since 1996. For over 25 years, we have been building one of the most efficient, hardworking, driven, and safest reputations in the area through hiring and training our best asset, our people. To learn more about General Well Servicing, check us out online at general.fasttruckingservice.com. 
Welcome back. We are joined by Josh Groberman, who is wearing a couple of hats. Now, Josh, you tell me if these are correct. Okay. Um, founder of the BOE Report, Canada's source for oil and gas news activity and information. The publication launched in January 2013 and is the most read daily oil and gas news website in Canada, reaching over 100,000 energy professionals each month. It's probably more than that now. It's a lot. I don't know exactly how many, but it's something like that. <laughs> and then second, Mr. Groverman is also president of Barrel Oil Corp an upstream oil and gas exploration and production company operating in the Western Canadian Sedimentary Basin. And you've been around, Barrel's been around for? Two years. We, we did our first acquisition two years ago. That, the, the description we put on our, our website was pretty uh, boilerplate, but uh, yeah. we've, we've got oil fields and uh, um, about five small oil fields in uh, Western uh, Canada, yeah. uh, mostly Southern Alberta. I got an oil field in southwest Saskatchewan, and then we just purchased a, a larger oil field, oil and gas field south of Pemina, south of Pemina. Well, we're going to talk about that later on. Yeah. But first, let's go right back to the beginning, the beginnings. Are you originally from Calgary? Yes. Yeah, my whole family, we're here. We've been, I'm like fifth generation Calgarian. So we've been here for a long time. Those are deep Long roots. time. We, none of us in the oil business. You're the first. Yes. Um... You know, they had tangential involvement. And, uh, but most. we were a furniture business. We're in the furniture. The, the Palomino used to be Groberman's Furniture Exchange in like the 30s. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Isn't that interesting? That is. That, yeah, that's... I was saving that for you. You didn't. <laughs> so well, that you could learn something interesting. Yeah, and honestly. So we were big in the furniture business. Crown, Imperial Sykes, lots of furniture stores in Calgary were the, owned by the Grobermans. That was the sort of the origins of the family. And then I think we got out of that business. My, my dad's folks ran um, classique dancewear. And then dad was a commodity broker for 20 years. And me and Alex, my brother, and I sort of stepped into the business um, seven, eight years ago. Okay. What compelled you about it? Um, when I first got into it a little bit, uh, I was, uh, I, I guess I wanted to branch out from what I was doing. So I, when I, you know, I, I knew people that were in it, you know, it was interesting. Uh, it just seemed to be an industry that a lot of people are making a good living in and, and they just enjoyed it generally. Um, as I got into it, I, I, I found myself enjoying it a lot more. Um, it's a great business. Um, so there's you, always things to do. Have you ever worked? You never worked in the field then? No. So what's your uh, original vocation then, your trade? No, I was, uh, I, my I, I was a helicopter traffic reporter on the Global Morning News. Well, I remember. You remember you. that. I do remember And I was that. a good helicopter traffic reporter. Agreed. Some say like top, you know, 10 in Calgary history. <laughs> the top 10. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. No, I did that, and then uh, I was doing that for a while, and then I got tired, and I wanted a different job. And I knew um, Bill Andrew, uh, who was uh, the CEO of Penn West, and then he took over another company, and then I kind of begged him for a job. 
and he was nice enough to make me a, an investor relations and, and sort of quasi-communications. And that's, I got hired at an oil company. I worked there for a couple of years, but that's when I started the BOE report. That was kind of more how I got into the industry. I think I was the worst, like, investor relations communications guy ever. <laughs> uh, but uh, there was a need for uh, a publication that uh, yeah, everybody could kind of have access to good free information, what's going on in the industry. Uh, I, I saw a big void, and that's why I started the BOE report. Oh. And that, that worked out well, you know. It, um, we, we started it in January 2013. And I, so even at that point, there was a void. Was it yes. Just, was it the format, like the online format? Yeah, there was, it was, if things were slow to go online, there was lots of, and there wasn't a lot of mediums for getting like good, rich information, like data. So we were able to take like the news and everything that was happening and then uh, where people were drilling wells, commodity prices, other industry activity, put it in a nice consumable format and, and put it up and then it, it kind of spread like wildfire. A lot of the companies started signing on to it. They were giving it to all their staff. Um, it was a quick, quick hit for people to know exactly what's going on in the industry. So you were one of the first into that space then? Yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, I really... I, one of the very first, yeah. Yeah. Any challenges getting it off the ground? Or? No, you know what? We started it at a good time. I mean, 2013, the industry was in great shape. Things were happening. Oil was 100 bucks. Um, so the first, you know, the first year, it was my brother and I who started it and we built it. Um, the first year was just growing it and, and putting it together. And then um, uh, about halfway through... You know, and then through 2014, that's when we really started getting a lot more advertisers, a lot more clients, growing the business side. Uh, but through the first three years, we were really just growing the audience. A lot of calls from me, uh, a lot of reach out, trying to just get people more aware of it, signing on to it, signing up for the email, everything that we do. Uh, and then it really caught on. Uh, when we got to a point of having a very good, you know, big established audience, um, everybody in the oil industry using it, the downturn really hit. And, you know, 2016 was a tough year. and It's pretty much been, they call it downturn ever since, but we learned to live with it and, and make it work. And it's yeah. been a good little business. Uh, we've got a full-time editor and reporter and a couple of programmers. So when you first started it, were you, did you have another job or was, was that? When I very first started it, I was working at uh, Long Run Exploration at the time. That, that was a company Bill was running. And then, um, how long uh, did it take before you could go? For I it? was, yeah, I started there. I still I worked at Long for another year, and then Bill fired me, uh, which was nice of him. Uh, but he makes sure he lets everybody know still. Uh, and then, uh, and then, yeah, that's when I sort of went going on my own. And but uh, you know what? I think it was just the fact that I was able to become an entrepreneur, start a business, make it work, uh, hired people, yeah, uh, and. Uh, uh, report on everything that was going on in the oil business. One of the, the, I think where we were sort of interesting is it was kind of around that time, 2013, when we started up. The whole industry advocacy and the whole um, opposition to the industry and, and the greenie movement and all that, it really started to percolate at that time. And I remember in 13, 14, we were writing articles about how you know, projects are getting delayed. We got to get these things going. There's, you know, just delay, delay, delay. Things that we were talking about back then, they're still not done to this day. You know, how many things we've missed the boat on. That, that's kind of the most interesting. We stepped into the industry and it's just been, 
I mean, there was the commodity price went down for oil and gas, but the, the opposition since and the, the, the you know the lack of new capital coming in here has just been worse and worse. So from a content perspective, like you guys have great content, variety of writers, yeah. um, but did, I mean a lot of stats and like you say, well information, et cetera. Yeah. Was it so? Did it start based that way? Or that did, was always the the idea of it, and I think most people use it as that tool just for industry intelligence to know who's doing what, where, who's drilling where, you know, picking up land here and there, what kind of deals are happening, what's the price of oil and gas or, or other commodities. That's always been the, the idea of it. Uh, but within there, we've had a pretty good advocacy piece. I think you had Terry Edom on here. He's been our best writer. Well, and, and we have lots of people that write in good advocacy pieces. And the BOE report has a lot of credibility because it's, it's a pretty trusted publication. And so that it's a good sort of starting point for a lot of this advocacy. And then people will share it around and politicians will share it around. And they get to read it and see, you know, these the people that we have involved in it, or you know, they know what they're talking about because they work in the industry too. Well, and I think, yeah, from I mean, from my perspective, the content is is uh, really what drives it. I mean, that's what right. I'm on the site for the content more than the uh, than the stats, but of course that's because uh, yeah, we've got the stats here. Yeah, you have the stats, and we we, we share them as best we can as well. And, oh, it's and great. We, we yeah. have the rig counts, and yeah. we, we try to break it down. And again, just yeah. little updates make it consumable, and they see the CAOEC's name, and everything looks good that way. It's just a good conduit to provide the industry with the information it needs, right? Oh, for sure. And yeah. and my point is that um, you know you've got the I think the best of both worlds, so it's it's uh, it's fantastic. Um, yeah. So. So you ran, you know, you've been running and still run the BOE report. What uh, was it? Just reading about all the uh, the plays out there that got you in, got the taste uh, for getting into it yourself. Or? Well, we, the, yeah, I mean, the BOE was like five or six years old at the time, and then um, I started looking around and knowing what I knew about the industry, what was going on, the data that I had access to, I, I, I could tell that there were uh, underloved assets in certain parts of Alberta. Uh, and that's when we had a look at southern Alberta, and I thought that you could probably pick up, you know, a decent amount of production for for a pretty good price from from good operators, and that's what we were uh, fortunate to do. Um, so I thought I, I think the, the original thought for getting an oil into the oil business was that there's a few ideas that we had that we thought were unique, and um, we saw a little bit of a void at, at that time. Uh, a lot of the investment, a lot of the companies were chasing um, sort of the newer, hotter plays and um, some of the legacy stuff that, that was unwanted and unloved was, was available. Um, and, uh, you know, th th with myself, uh, my brother, our network people that we were working with, we, we thought we had a good team together to start an oil company. Yeah, so was it, like, how did you build the team? Well, uh, the... Um, our chairman's Bill Andrew, so he's sort of my main partner. Um, and my brother, uh, Alex, um, helped get the business off the ground, did a lot of the financial setup and, and things like that. Um, we added uh, people that we knew, uh, and there were there's lots of people that were looking to get business startups, so we, we had a lot of independent guys that were really interested in just getting involved in a startup, but it really was a startup, so... People were donating a lot of their time or working for, for very, very little. Um, 
So that was sort of, and then people that Bill did business with, people that I did business with, we raised money through a lot of people I did business with through the BOE report, and then just other people that we knew, uh, and we kind of just did it together, and it was really just a pure startup, uh, and it still is to a large degree, um, but we, we've done lots of acquisitions, we've got to a bit of a size now, uh, but there was, uh, there was always this idea, everybody's always telling me, it's like, oh, you couldn't start an oil company unless you have at least 50 million, you gotta get into this play, you gotta spend X on this and that, and I was like, well, I don't think you have to. And Bit of a challenge. Yeah, it was a challenge. It was tough, I mean, just getting it off the ground. You know, there's running around and talking to people and seeing if they want to invest in an oil company. I mean, they, it was at the time, you know, when we started, late 2018 is when we very first looked at things, and we got things together in early 2019. People were not very interested in it, but yeah. as, as time's gone on, I mean, the COVID thing is its own thing, but uh, as time went on, we, we've seemed to have done better. I think the industry's heading in a much better direction than it was before. Well, we certainly think so. I mean, but again, you know, always with the caveat that it couldn't have got much worse. Right. Than, uh, well, well, the COVID thing was awful. <laughs> we were saying it couldn't get much worse in 16, and then... Yeah. Last year it did, so I guess we shouldn't say that anymore because yeah, be it's, it definitely at least pricing wise it seemed to have stabilized. But I think regulatory it's getting up better. Um, people are looking at the industry a bit more. It's slow. Yeah, it's slow, but it's I I think most guys would say it. It's definitely in a better direction now than it was before. So I if think were, if you were asking people, you know, two, three, four years ago, most people would say it's heading in the wrong direction in the industry. So somebody with your entrepreneurial flair, would you think that they are, ideas are percolating right now, like they were for you back in uh, 13 and then again a couple of years ago? Or? Oh, like new ideas? I, I think so. It's the, the business is changing a lot. Lots of people are, are seeing that. But they're, they're managing to make a go of it. I think there's always sort of new ideas coming up all the time and better ways to get things done. Um, I, I can imagine that will continue to evolve. I mean, there's still lots of good productive wells in Alberta uh, and Western Canada, lots of good place. And uh, people are always finding better ways to exploit them. So... Well, and, and we, so we certainly would agree that uh, there's a long life ahead for commodities. Right. Uh, but, you know, depending on what you read, this, this week we had the IPCC coming out with, uh, actually saw online today a nice selection of front pages. Oh, that we're from, all going to die. From newspapers, yeah, code red yeah. For, for climate change. So, yeah. you know, that's an interesting, given your media background um, and, and uh, your current role, I mean, what are you seeing for Canadian oil and gas and then how would you assess uh, Canadian media with respect to our industry our national industry and uh, all the things that are going on so you know we've got the climate change debate we've got the activism that's happening anti-oil activism and then we've got kind of government policy that's coming out in line with in many ways uh, good uh, emissions reductions environmental legislation but you know, to a point, and then of course we've uh, you can get into perhaps overregulating and discouraging investment. Yeah. So that's there's a lot in that question. So well, the companies are doing a lot of it on their own. The companies are doing a lot of it on their own with, I guess you'd call it better ESG policy, environmentally, 
a lot of them are reducing emissions. We're seeing a lot more CO2 been, going into the ground. And, and they've been years. doing that, yeah. and they've just been doing it more and more and more. There's, you know, record numbers of abandonments and reclamation jobs occurring, which is just great. We're putting the land back to the way it was. Um, so I think the companies are, are sort of taking care of it on their own. Yeah. I, I do not understand, and I think it's univ universally accepted that oil use and gas use in the world is going up and going to continue to go up. So the idea that we would cripple our industry here and that would just be made up by other parts of the world, a lot less friendly jurisdictions in a lot of cases, that's just going to happen. It's just insanity here. Um, you know, the policies and everything, and it makes people look bad. A lot of investors just do not even, they don't even take Canada seriously at best is the truth. Um, so things need to change. Yeah. Well, I think, and so obviously the focus of our series of podcasts right now is, is the labor, uh, perhaps lack thereof, and encouraging younger people or people maybe who have left the industry and, and for, for uh, greener pastures uh, to maybe get back and, and, and sort of recognize it as a place where they can still build careers. Um, so, I mean... I think, and I think that's true. The biggest gaps that at least I see is that... Um, and we've got great people at Merrill, but the... the um, do you have younger people? Yeah, we do. We do. We do. We have a lot of people in their 30s, uh, which I guess you'd call younger. And we have people in their 20s as well. Um, the, I think the industry got to a point where, and I don't want to pick on any one sort of department and companies, but it got to a point where people got pigeonholed in very specific departments. You'd have somebody, okay, I only deal with you know, this discipline. I don't deal with anything else. There's a big need for people. You know, we need somebody to, to handle things from more of, you know, this segment to that segment to that segment. You know, the land department would be good if you know about the minerals, but also about the surface land a little bit more. Accounting, somebody that, that, that has um, more experience with the operational side uh, as well as the accounting. The more disciplines you can tie together, uh, that, that's becoming very, very valuable for companies. Um, because there, there has been a need to uh, be a little more efficient with the operations. So having more well-rounded people. Uh, and, and there's a gap there. So I, I think anybody that, that's looking to get in the industry, particularly if they're younger, um, the best thing they can do to set themselves up is to try and round themselves out as, as much as they can so they know a few different things. Yeah. Well, and also to maybe... Um Consider the industry regardless of, of what discipline you're interested in pursuing. And, and yeah, I don't, the, I, there's no question that the, we, we need to, at worst, replace our existing production. That's at worst. And that requires a lot of people, a lot of capital, a lot of projects, a lot of things going on. So that's going to go on regardless. Um, people talking about this energy transition, whatever it is, the use of oil and gas is only going up and up. We're a friendly jurisdiction here and we, we develop it in a good way. Um, we 
could use a lot more export capacity, but we still have um, an okay amount, I suppose. Uh, but, but any of these things, you know, always going to be new capital required, and there's always going to be an industry here. It's not going to die. It's smaller than it was. Yeah. Um, but it's also more diverse in terms of... It's more of, diverse, yeah. ...of uh, opportunities and, and perhaps vocations, right? So, again, you know, I talked about the fact that I'm in communications. You started out in broadcasting and, and, uh, and as an entrepreneur. Right. You had that entrepreneurial spirit, and you took it in the two different directions. Right? Sure. Oh, yeah, no, you can do anything here. This is the, that's the other beauty of the business. I mean, it, it doesn't... You yeah. don't have to be an engineer or have to be this or that. Yeah, or you don't you have to do work whatever, on, yeah. on the drilling rig. Although I often say I wish I worked on a rig. Do you ever wish you worked in the field? <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes. I, well, listen, first of all, I, 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 I like to go out to the field a lot. So you know, I like to meet the operators, like to look at stuff. I, I really enjoy that. I think it's super important regardless for everybody, companies to go out so they can make that connection. There was a, a little bit of a gap there where... You know, lots of people would just kind of stay in the office or just, just go on the road somewhere else. I think going out to the field is important. I, um, it, it would have been nice because I, I would know a lot more and I'd yeah. be better at my job if I spent more time in the field. Agreed. That's but it's where I'm it's good from. to you know there there's such there's such pros a lot of the guys out in the field and they teach me so much and we learn so much from them and then we got a lot of people in our office who did work out in the field and yeah. they they know it um, and so you can talk to them and you can make those connections and all that no i wish i were yeah you know because it would have been i would have known more and, and been better but that's you know that that part of uh of myself i don't uh, have as much strength as other people so i try to bring other strengths well i'm always impressed with the uh, knowledge of the earth sciences that i mean obviously you have to have that i guess i was just ignorant to that mm -hmm. um and so when I, when I hear kids not wanting to perhaps get into the industry because they feel like it's a, a blight on the environment, I mean, I would say exact opposite. Get in there and you'll learn that, you know, what we are pulling out of the ground is natural. Um, the way we do it is uh, the best in the world in terms of reclamation. I mean, if that's something that you're into is environmental protection, why not get into this industry? Because there are so many opportunities to do it yeah. and do it well. And, 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 of course, learn how well we are doing it. And, and to see the, the, the detail that some of these reclamation projects go, uh, you know, at length to, to bring back the soil in the proper order and then the correct species of trees and, you know, they... they uh, yeah, make it so the farmers can farm again. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's incredible just the knowledge um, that people in the field have of the environment and... Uh, yeah, everything that's going on, they, they they take care of it well. Try to have good relations with our, our landowners, and so that we we can do all of that. And at, at the every uh, at, at this point too, a lot of oil companies, you know, the, the mindset has shifted from you know, do this, build it up, sell out, or whatever. To uh, they all understand that we you buy a field, you buy oil wells or gas wells. At the end of the life, you got to put it back to the way it was. You got to spend that last bit of money on abandonment and reclamation. I think the industry's doing a good job taking care of it. I mean, there's no question about that, that the industry here is doing a better job in terms of putting these conventional assets to bed. Way outperforms any other jurisdiction in the world. Not even close. Um, I wish more people knew about that. Yeah. It's probably something that we're missing out on. 
but just the fact that we're abandoning and reclaiming thousands and thousands of well sites every year. And as time goes on, we just do more and more. I mean, you got to think we have a world-class orphan well fund here. Got to be the best in the world with the way they do their jobs. Um, just incredible amounts of professionalism. They get them done for great pricing. They get them done fast. They put the land back to the way it was. You know, it's... Uh, we seem to be doing a very good job as an industry that way. And I, I, yeah, I just wish more people would, would know about it. And hey, you know, we, it's just part of our job, right? We go in, you know, this well is done, it's depleted. Here's a well to abandon. We got to rig out. Maybe we can do a few at a time. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's hard because you get the one horror story for the thousands and thousands of, uh, I guess non-stories out yeah. there, and and uh, suddenly the image or the uh, industry gets a bad image. But yeah. no, it's uh, again, you know, for kids who who are concerned about the environment, I think uh, just getting into the industry number one to to make sure that it's it's done properly, but number two to understand that it is done properly and that they can contribute to that. Sure, um, you know, there there are. And roles I think that, I think there's going to be a huge, and this could, you know, what could end up being a, just a game changer for the industry is if um, you know, there's a bright young guy that comes along one day and figures out a new uh, method of abandoning wells that, that does it a little bit cheaper, um, a little bit more efficiently. Uh, you know, as that system of doing things gets better and better and cheaper and cheaper, and it, it becomes easier to put uh, wells to bed and easier to put the land back to the way it was. I mean, that could be just a huge game changer for the industry. It would reduce everybody's liability level and, you know, something like that would start to get more capital back here. Yeah. That and a bunch of other things. But. So how is the space right now? Um, would you, I mean, I'm told that it's the intermediate space. Um, and a lot of juniors have sort of left the building. Uh, where, where is it at from a, uh, I guess, entrepreneurial standpoint or, or uh, you know, who, who's putting together companies right now to drill? Yeah, there's, from where I see it, and just running barrel in the BOE report, there was, um, there's less companies now than there's been in a long time. I haven't been around long enough to know, but it, I think it's been a very long time since it's been this few number of companies. There's been a little bit of new startups, um, not a ton. There is that used, just because pricing has been so bad for so there's long? A, you know, the biggest thing, I think, is there's just, there's no capital coming in. You know, there's just very, very little investor money coming into to Alberta. Again, there's some uh, from diverse pockets around the world, but but very little. Uh, so there used to be all the time. You know, it was on the BOE report. Companies were announcing new equity issuances, you know, new this and that, and, and things were just really happening. The whole province was running really well, uh, and then just as time went on and and uh, pricing went down. And then regulatory changes, um, unfriendly governments, it just sort of dried up all the capital. And they're all sitting there. And there, there's no reason to suggest that there isn't money out there. It's just, when does it come back to the space? What, what's it going to take? And that, that's a hard question to answer. Well, for sure, it's going to take young people who are interested in starting new businesses. Yeah. So, you know, let's encourage them. Uh, we've been asking our listeners to share these podcasts with uh, 
people who might be uh, looking for opportunities, uh, young, both young and old, to come back because we think that the labour peace is going to be an issue going forward as things get busier. Uh, we know our members are having difficulty staffing rigs, uh, not so much right now, but uh, you know we anticipate that happening in the fourth quarter and in, into uh, Oh, the sure. If it stays year. busy like this and the yeah. rigs start going, it, it will be difficult, and there are going to be less and less people. I, I know it, too. You know, you, you would think conventional wisdom would be that, because uh, the industry's been beaten down so badly that you would think, oh, you can get anybody to do anything whenever you want. But sometimes it is very challenging to find, to find uh, a rig available here or there or um, the right people to do, to do specific things. It, it can be very challenging still. So I, there's, you know, it, it's a little bit harder to get a job now, but um, compared to other industries and uh, the, the potential you can have to grow in this industry is still fantastic. Yeah, well, it's nice to see all the uh, help wanted. Yeah, and it is, you know, it's an industry of just entrepreneurs. You, know, you can pick up the phone and call and get a hold of anybody you want and, and really make anything happen. Yeah, low barriers yeah. to entry in terms of, uh, you know, we talk a little bit about the cost and, and uh, time that you need to put into training for, let's say, a career that's going to pay you $100,000 a year. Yeah. Uh, so when you look at, uh, you know, how many years and how much does it cost to become a lawyer? How many years of your time and how much does it cost to become a dentist? Yeah. Um, you know, and then when you look at a career like rig manager, for instance, a lot of those salary salaries are comparable to those other professions. But it, it, the, the length of time that it takes you to get to be a rig manager is about half. And you're getting paid the entire way. Yeah. And it's all about uh, performance, too. I mean... You, you just have to go out there and perform. And learn as you go. Yeah, and learn as you go and perform. And, and as long as you can do that and, and, and do a good job, I mean, the sky's really the limit that way. Well, a lot of other ones, they, they really, there's, you know, you got to go down a path. you got to go here and there. And, you know, they kind of say pay your dues and everything. But you can really accelerate things in the oil business just through good performance. Yeah. More so than other industries. And performance matters in other industries. Well, sure. But I, 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 think, I think, you know, Young people, if they're a really good guy, they can work their way up a lot faster in the oil business than any other business. And maybe come out with money in the bank instead of a student yeah. loan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Get right, get right into it and hit the ground running. Because, you, you know, you got to look at your, your discounting. So you come out of 10 years of law school, you got $100,000 of student debt. Well, now you're discounting your future earnings for the next 10 years by that amount of debt, that debt. Paying that debt down. Yeah. And when you look at, uh, you know, and if you're, so say you're, perhaps a dentist and you're an entrepreneur and you want to go through and then start your own practice, start your own business. Well, if you have that entrepreneurial spirit, you know, you get, get, become a rig manager and then, Hey, who knows, maybe buy a couple of rigs, start your own drilling company. Right. I mean, yeah, there's lots of stories like that. Tons of stories like that. It's great. Yeah. And they're just regular people. You talk to them and they're not like they have some sort of magic pill. Yeah. Well, this is it. So yeah. we're hoping that, uh, like I say, we can encourage people to come back because I think, you know, hopefully we're going to get on a little bit of a run here. So give us your, before we wrap up, give us your, uh, what's the next, what's 2022 look like when the pipelines come on? What is that? Because so end of the year, we're looking at line three, end of this year. Yeah. And then end of 22, we're looking at uh, Trans Mountain. So in terms of a producer, like what do you see on the horizon? Well, I, if those projects can get done and, and on time, 
and we all hope they do. Uh, I think they, uh, you'll, you'll start to see, you'll start to see increased activity. Um, a lot of it will be driven by the seniors uh, as they pay up and they, they put their resources towards their new sort of core areas. But then there are other assets which may be core today will uh, sort of move on to the next company. And then that's where hopefully a, a wave of juniors will come in, um, pick up on those and, and give these, these assets a little bit more love and, and take them to the end of their life. Um, so I, I think, you know, provided that, that the pricing can stay okay and that uh, um, these projects get done, I think, I think the future can be very positive. I think for the long term, it's still a very good industry. And, um, you know, time is on the industry side in a couple ways because as time goes on and people start to see, you know, oil use and oil demand is continually increasing, it isn't going down, people still need it, they need it from responsible developers, that just, you know, helps to, to add to, to this industry. And um, hopefully you see policies and, and regulations accommodating that so I think I think there's there's good future for for the uh, for the industry here and um, you know every a lot of the older fellows say that they've been through this and they've seen it before and they've seen it before and there's no reason why we can't get out of this and I don't I, I don't see why not so I think it looks good I, you know um, companies are doing a good job operating and they're cleaning up their balance sheets and putting assets to bed and doing all the proper things so I think we, it's been a challenging five years, but again, I, I would say most people would say the industry is heading in a much better direction now than it, than it has in the last five, six years, for sure. Well, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're joined by Josh Groverman of the BOE Report and Barrel Oil Court. All right, that's it for another edition of the General Well Servicing CAOEC podcast. A very special thank you to our guest, uh, Mr. Josh Groverman. If you like the episode, please give us a like or a share. And as always, till next time, keep it turning to the right.